You know, one thing uh, that I think is true for most people is the love of buffets. The love of buffets. Think about it. I mean, I, I don't actually think I can come up with anyone that I know that doesn't like a buffet of some sort, of some type. I mean, I think everybody likes them. Everybody likes a buffet. And how could you not? I mean, it's fast. It's convenient, right? The price is good for what you get. I mean, you, you, can, you can eat any, as much as you want, like until you bust. You know, and how many times have you gone home from a buffet and you're like, oh, because oh, oh, you've just gone crazy with it, right? And you can do that all for one fixed price. It's great. It's especially good if you have kids because they can get whatever they want and leave what they don't without the usual complaining and the whining, right? And that's true for adults as well. We can get what we want without the whining and the complaining and the fussing like, like we sometimes are prone to do. Buffets are just awesome. And they're a great, great option when it comes to eating out. But they're a really, really bad way, that mindset, that concept, that buffet mindset is a really bad way to approach your relationship with God. It's a really bad way to go about that. But unfortunately, it's exactly how many, many people do approach God and their spiritual lives. You know, it's, it's like they say, well, I don't really like what God says here, so I'm just going to reject it. It's going to reject it. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. But, oh, that concept over there, oh, yeah, that matches my opinion, so I'll take some of that. And uh, that religion over there, that suits me pretty good, so I'll take some of that, and I'm good with that. And, uh, oh, ooh, that philosophy right over there, yeah, that, that sounds good. I'll, I'll grab that. You get my point. That mindset, though, that, that approach is totally useless and foolish because a spiritual buffet never offers spiritual reality. Spiritual buffet never offers spiritual reality. And there, there's no benefit. There's only harm. You're going to find plenty, uh, if you take that approach, you're going to find plenty of things that, that really suit your own selfish ambition or your fleshly desires, or your inflated view of yourself, you're going to find things that feed that, but you're never going to find what you need if that's how you view spirituality, if that's how you view your relationship with God, like one great big buffet. No benefit can come from it, only harm. But tragically, mankind has chosen to operate that way all through history starting with Adam and Eve and their sin as they fell from their perfect relationship with God in the garden. It's just like what Romans 3, 11 through 12 says. Romans 3, 11 through 12 says, There is no one, there's no one who understands, no one who understands properly the things of God, no one who approaches him the right way. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one 
who does good, not even one. That is the sad, sad reality for humanity in our natural state apart from Christ. From the fall in the garden on, on through history, all the way up till now, natural man, natural man, constantly tries to define truth to serve his own sinful, selfish purposes. Natural man constantly tries to create his own satisfying, never-ending life apart from God and absent his perfect design and direction. It's what we do. It's what we always do on our own, apart from Christ. And this always, always results in emptiness, in misery, in chaos, which we definitely see, don't we, on full display currently in every aspect of our society. It's what happens. When you take God out of the picture, when you take God out of the equation, all ends up leading to misery, to emptiness, to chaos. But, but, over all of that, in sharp contrast to all the dead ends and pointless pursuits that are contained in humanistic or pluralistic worldviews, in contrast to all of that stands Jesus with the powerful proclamation that was recorded in John 14.6. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And that's great to hear, right? That's powerful and that's encouraging. But what does all that mean? What's wrapped up in that? What was Jesus communicating about himself by each of those statements here in this next to the last of the I am statements? We need to keep the context surrounding this passage and this statement in mind. Jesus is close to going to the cross And he celebrated one more Passover meal with his disciples. He's instituted the Lord's Supper there at that Passover meal. And now he's trying to prepare them for his coming death, resurrection, and ultimate return back to heaven and his Father. And in the verses in the chapter before, in chapter 13, Jesus has dropped two major bombs on the disciples that they just did not see coming, they weren't prepared for. In John 13, he tells them as they're there at the Last Supper in the upper room, he says, first of all, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. You're going to hand me over to the religious leaders and to the Romans. You're going to actually be instrumental in bringing about my death. And they're all just like, what? No, no way, You're, you're kidding me. And they're all talking amongst themselves and they're all asking, who, who could this be? There's no way. And of course, it's Judas. That wasn't the only bomb that was dropped, though. The other bomb, maybe even more significant than that one, is when Peter said, well, I don't know about all these other jokers, but you know what? I'm going to die for you. I, I am with you to the end. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, I don't think so. I don't think so. In just a little while, you're going to deny that you even know me. Not once, not twice, but three times. 
I mean, that just blew Peter away. I mean, Peter was the rock, right? He was the leader of the group under Jesus. He was Christ's right-hand man. There's no way he could deny Jesus. But that was the announcement, and sure enough, that's what would end up happening. So, I mean, just bomb, and then bomb dropped on the, on the disciples. And on top of that, he's letting them know, you know, in just a, a few hours from now, I'm going to die. You're going to leave me, you're going to go your own way, and everything is going to be upside down. Your world as you know it right now is going to come to an end. Can you imagine how they felt in all of that? How they were trying to process everything they just heard? I mean, they were just reeling, wouldn't you be? And then, as we come to the passage that Cormie just read, the main text for today, John 14, 1 through 6, we see Jesus saying, right after all of that happened, he sees, he's like, but it's okay. Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> now think about that. Everything you just heard, everything you were processing. I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, oh, oh really? How am I supposed to do that? How am I not supposed to have my heart troubled down to my very core after all that I just heard, after all that you said is getting ready to happen? Don't let my heart be troubled. How? Jesus says, you've been believing in God, the Father. You've been believing in him. I know you have. Keep believing in him and keep believing in me. And then he tells them, it's actually a good thing that I'm going away. It's actually okay that I'm leaving. Because in my Father's house where I'm going back to, there's many different rooms. And guess what? I'm getting it ready for you. I'm preparing a place for you so that you can come and be with me where I am. So it's a good thing that I'm going away. And, and it's not even like you don't know how to get there, guys. You know the way. So it's all good. And then you got to love Thomas. you got to love Thomas and what he says in verse 5. You know, here, Thomas is obviously a very logical-minded, very linear-thinking kind of guy. We know that ultimately from even after the resurrection, you know, when everybody's like, Jesus is back from the dead, yay! And he's like, okay, I don't buy it. Let me, let me see the proof. I'm not going to accept it. It's just too good to be true until I can actually feel the wounds myself. Then, then we'll talk. So, I mean, he's a very rational, logical kind of guy. And we see it on display here because he's like, um, excuse me, Jesus, uh, no, no, we really don't know the way. We really don't. I, I think I would remember directions to heaven. I mean, come on. And he's thinking, you know, very physical. And we can't fault him. I mean, we would do the same thing. If Jesus says, you know, I'm going to heaven and it's okay because you know the way, you know how to get there. I'd be thinking, all right, did he give me the address? I mean, I, I I don't see it here on my Maps app. Um, Jesus, can you help me out here? And then Jesus, in his reply, as we come to verse 6, it's, it's a loving response, just as he's done all through the I Am statements. When people are still just focused on the physical, he, just, he lovingly but very directly challenges them. No, think beyond the physical Get, lift up your eyes beyond the here and the now and understand what I'm really trying to tell you about myself, what I'm really trying to tell you about the spiritual reality. Work with me here. Think, think about what I'm trying to get you to think about. And in his response in verse 6, I, I am the way, Thomas. No, you're, you're not understanding. I, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In that response... 
Jesus is wanting to make sure his disciples, his 11 there originally to hear this, but also all of us as well today, he's wanting his disciples to understand exactly what his purpose in coming to earth is all about. He doesn't want them to miss it. He doesn't want us to miss it. He wants his purpose in coming to earth to be understood. He wants us to understand what he alone provides and makes possible for us. All because of who he is and what he accomplished. That's what he's trying to get them and us to understand. And that's what we want to understand. We want to grasp what is Jesus really all about? What was his purpose in coming to earth? What does he have for us? What does he provide that we can't find anywhere else? It's what we need to wrap our minds around. So first, we need to realize and remember that Jesus is the way to God and the way to fix the problem of sin which keeps us from God. When he says, I am the way, that's what's wrapped up in that. He's the way to God and the way to fix the problem of sin which keeps us from God. Because no matter who you are, or what you try, you can't bridge the gap that sin created between us and God. Sin created this huge, impassable chasm. And no matter what we come up with, no matter how much we desire to bridge that gap, no matter what we attempt, we are powerless to bridge it. We're powerless to cross it. Christ is the only means of closing it. He's it. He's it. It's not in trying harder and trying to do more. It's not in in some strict code of religious observance. It's not a legalistic approach to things. It's not in adding this program and that program and trying to make everything as, as edgy and as, you know, hip as you can. That, that's all just really empty when it comes down to it. It's not in anything you and I can do or come up with or create. Jesus Christ is it. He's the only means. He is the exclusive way to redemption, restoration, and real relationship with the Father. He's the exclusive means of all of that. That's what Jesus is by being the way. And that's what he means. Because the whole context here is about the Father and a relationship with Him and access to the Father and, and dwelling with the Father where the Son is going to be forever. It's all about that. And Jesus says, I'm the way to everything that you long for in, in your heart of hearts, down to your very core, everything you desire, everything you want to reach for, but you just can't on your own, everything that the law is powerless to provide for you, I am it. I'm the way to redemption, restoration, and real relationship with the Father. And he always is going to be. Always. This is a timeless truth and a timeless reality, church. We need to never forget it. And we need to never lose sight of it. Additionally, additionally, he is the truth about God. That's who he really is and what he's like, his character, his attributes. And it's truth that he alone perfectly and fully reveals. Jesus Christ the Son alone 
perfectly and fully reveals the truth about God, who he really is, what he's like, what he wants from us, what he wants for us. The Bible makes this clear in John 1.18, which says, no one has ever seen God. Now that doesn't, that doesn't refer to physical sight, like I'm seeing you before me and you're seeing me. What John is meaning there is a perception. No one has ever fully perceived who and what God is. No one has ever been able to wrap their minds around who God is. No one's been able to fully conceive of him. There's been a a veil, as it were, over our minds, over our understanding, up until now. No one could really fully grasp who God is. He wasn't fully revealed to us until now. Look at what the rest of the, text, of the verse here says. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Isn't that great? That's great news. Because in Jesus, what could not be fully known before him is now able to be fully known, namely the Father. We can fully know him, church, in and through Christ. We can personally know the God of all the universe because of what Christ has made possible. We can intimately know him. We can call him without any blasphemy or irreverence. We can call him the God of the universe, Daddy. Daddy. Just like the song that we sang today, Be Thou My Vision, my favorite old hymn, by the way, Thou my true father, and I thy true son. Something that we should never deserve to be able to have intact. That level of relationship, that's not something we could ever be worthy of, and it's nothing we could ever attain to on our own. It's only because of Jesus and his work on our behalf. It's what he's made possible. Incredible, incredible. So he alone perfectly and fully reveals all that the Father is, all that the Father wants us to know, the Son allows us to know. This is why in the next verse in this very passage in John 14, in verse 7, he tells the disciples, if you really know me, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because Jesus fully, perfectly reveals the Father. All that the Father is and all that the Father does, Jesus is and Jesus does. Jesus does that exclusively. That means to know the Father, you have to know the Son. See what I mean? To know the Father, you have to know the Son. There's no work around that. You can't get around that. There's no option B. It's only Jesus. He's the way to know the Father. And he's the only way. He's the only way. And finally, finally, he is the gift of life from God and the keeper of our life in God. Jesus as the life is the gift of life from God and the keeper of our life in God. John 3.16 speaks to the fact that he is the gift of life. 
And just about anybody knows that verse, right? I mean, even if you've only set foot in church a few times, that's going to at least be familiar. And that's kind of a, sometimes a bad thing. We get too familiar sometimes with verses that we know by heart, right? And we, we can lose the impact and the power of it. John 3.16 is amazing. The entire gospel is summed up in John 3.16. It's incredible. For God so loved the world, the world that did not so love him, The world that was in rebellion to him, against him. The world that was not pursuing him, but was pursuing its own agenda. A world that had turned away from God, yet he loved it. And he loved it so much that he gave his one and only son, whom he had enjoyed for an eternity in perfect fellowship and love. He gave, he sacrificed his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, the one and only Son, Jesus, shall not perish, but have, possess, own, claim eternal life. He is the gift of life from God the Father. And he is the keeper of that life from the Father. He's the keeper of our life in God. John 10, 28 says this, Jesus speaking, and he said, I give them, I give them, Eternal life, them, speaking of those who are his, his sheep in the context of this passage, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, no one, that's everyone else and you yourself, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Not only in in Jesus do we find the life that we long for, that we all search for in one way or another, eternal life that can only come from God and is only given through Jesus. But in Jesus, we find our eternal security. We all want to know that there is such a thing as eternal security. We all want to know that. And the great news for us is, it's not up to me and it's not up to you. I said this before as we looked at this passage earlier in our series. We are powerless to save ourselves and we will never be powerful enough to lose the salvation because it's not from us, it's not in us, it's all from God. And it's all maintained by Jesus. He is the power that keeps us in the eternal life that he gives us. It's all in him. So he is the gift of life from the Father and he is the keeper of our life in the Father. In John 14, look at the end of verse 6 again. As he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The result of that, the connecting thought to that, the natural conclusion to the fact that he is the exclusive way, the exclusive truth, and the exclusive life is what he says at the end. No one comes to the Father except through me. This, this is one of the biggest problems that most unbelievers have when it comes to Christianity. It's the exclusive nature of the gospel message. They just have a big problem with the fact that it's so exclusive. It'd be okay if you didn't get hung up on this whole one-way thing. 
I'd be all right with what you teach and what you say. I'd even be okay with a lot of what the Bible says if it weren't for the fact that it keeps on talking about there's one way to heaven, one way to salvation, only one way to know God. You are just so narrow-minded, so close-minded. Who are you to say what absolute truth is? Who are you to say what the absolute means of salvation is? Who made you the authority, right? Some variation or form of that is what you maybe have already heard or you no doubt will if you spend any time witnessing to the lost. And it's going to become increasingly so that people are hostile to the exclusive nature of the message of the gospel. It's one of the biggest problems people have, one of the biggest hang-ups. The fact that the gospel doesn't recognize or offer multiple options and roads leading to eternal life and relationship with God. And let's be clear, it doesn't. It doesn't. The gospel, the true, pure gospel, does not offer multiple ways, multiple options, multiple roads to salvation or to God. It doesn't. It doesn't. But it's actually the kindest message there is. And the reason that's true is because it's the most honest and direct statement of reality, of where things actually stand. So it's absolutely right and necessary that we do hold strongly to the exclusive nature of the gospel. Why? Because Jesus, who is God come to earth, God who took on flesh, the final full revelation of the Father, unapologetically, definitively declared that he is the exclusive means of any relationship with the Father. The exclusive means of finding absolute truth and of having eternal life with the Father in his home. Jesus unapologetically definitively declared that. And because he is God, because he is the great I am, we can listen to him, we can trust him, we can rest on what he says, we can believe it, and we need to act on it. We need to remember that he is the exclusive means, the exclusive way to the Father, the exclusive truth, the exclusive life. We need to remember that. We need to believe that. We need to proclaim that. We need to not apologize for that. And we certainly need to not try to compromise that or dilute that. We need to not add to that. Let's leave the gospel as it is. Because, my friends, the gospel can stand on its own. It alone is the power of God unto salvation. Not the gospel and this strategy. Not the gospel and this philosophy. Not the gospel and this method. No, it's the gospel alone that saves. And Jesus is the exclusive aspect of the gospel in every way. It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus, period. It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus, period. His way is the only way. His truth is absolute truth. His life is the only one that will always fulfill and satisfy. And the really, really good news is, it was good news for his disciples, originally it's good news for us, 
as Jesus did go to the cross and, and as he rose from the dead and as he ascended, he gave a promise prior to that that he fulfilled. And that promise was that he would not leave us alone. He would not leave us alone. He would leave physically, but he would not leave us alone. And he didn't. He didn't leave us alone. Jesus is not physically with us because he is in heaven. But his promise in John 16, verses 13 through 14, is that through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit and his constant indwelling presence and ministry in our lives as believers in Christ, we have the ability to be perfectly and continually guided in the right way, the right truth, and the right life. Look at what John 16, verses 13 through 14 say. Jesus giving this awesome, awesome promise. But when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, an aspect of his ministry, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. We know the Father and have a relationship with him through Jesus because all the Father is, all he desires, Jesus is, and Jesus does. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. All that Jesus said, all that he taught, all that he declared... All that he desires for us, all that he wills, the Holy Spirit desires for us. The Holy Spirit wills. And the Holy Spirit will always point us back to everything Jesus said. He will always realign our thinking back with where it needs to be, with what Jesus is, with who Jesus is. As we get distracted and deluded from the way, the truth, and the life, the Holy Spirit with his incredible indwelling ministry, if we're in Christ, will always say, no, 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 you're off track. Get back on track. Look to Jesus. Get your eyes back on Jesus. No, the way is not over there. The truth is not over here. Life is not going to be found in those things. It's in Jesus. Remember, remember, he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. That's what the Holy Spirit will do to us as we allow him to, as we, as we let him work, as we yield to him, as we listen to him, and as we follow his lead. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, which is Jesus. The Holy Spirit will remind us of the exclusive way, which is Jesus, and he will always, always remind us that only in Jesus can life be found. He did not leave us alone. No greater and no kinder Savior can ever be found. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the truth of who Jesus is. I thank you for the truth and the reality of what Jesus is. That he is the way, the truth, the life. We don't have to wonder or worry about finding the right path to you, Father. We don't have to wonder if we're on the right course and we don't have to decide between all the different options out there and the different religious systems. You've made it so perfectly clear for us. Thank you. It's in Jesus alone. 
We don't have to wonder if there is such a thing as truth and and if there is, how we can find it. It's Jesus. He is the absolute truth. We don't have to wonder if we can ever really know abundant and eternal life. We, We need to look no further than your son. We need to embrace no one but him because in him alone, life eternal, rich, and abundant is found. Oh, Father, thank you for this clarity. Thank you for revealing that to us by your grace. But Father, if there is anyone here who has not yet embraced the grace that you provide, who has not yet yielded their life to this Savior who is the way, the truth, and the life, please, by your Spirit's power, by your Spirit's work, capture their heart today, right now. And I pray that that they would feel comfortable, Father, to come and, and talk to me and sit down with me and that, that they could find life and truth and the way to you before they leave this building. And for all of us who have already received all that Jesus is, may we never grow cold to the awesome reality that we have in him and through him. And may we be passionate and fiery in our proclamation and witness of all that he is to a lost and dying world. It's in Jesus' name I pray all of this. Amen.